And now, broadcasting from a two-person hot tub, high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, PK and Rick. Welcome to another special edition of the E-Town Lowdown COVID-19 pandemic. Now more than ever, we're asking the community of Elmhurst to please fill out your U.S. 2020 census. It's quick, safe, and easy, and you can do it online at my2020census.gov. Thank you. Today is Tuesday, April 14th, 2020, and I have our guest, Dr. David Moyer, Superintendent of Elmhurst Community Unit School District 205 on the phone. How are you, Dave? I'm doing fine. Thanks for asking, Rich. I hope you are well as well. I hope you're being honest with that because uh, I know you've got a big task uh, that you're working on uh, with your entire team right now. So tell us a little bit about how the e-learning is going. You're about two and a half weeks in. The last time we spoke was in the middle of spring break, and you were preparing for it. So give me your, your take on how it's going. Yeah, I think overall well. I think that obviously uh, people are uh, – have been patient they understand that um, our teachers are working hard and trying to figure out how to uh, manage this whole process and and i think that a lot of parents are working on balancing their personal situations and their employment situations with their education um and you know if people have a couple kids at home at different grade levels and all that kind of stuff there's there's a lot going on so i I think the community has been pretty patient trying to realize that we're, you know, trying to figure it out. And I think our teachers are being uh, pretty responsive and adaptive as they learn uh, what the students and the families uh, are thinking. We're uh, eliciting formal and informal feedback all the time and trying to make adjustments. Uh, We're hoping they add some professional learning days to give our teachers a few more opportunities to figure out how to keep learning how to do this better. And so, you know, it's a work in progress, but I would say that, um, uh, I would say overall, we're, we're doing okay. I mean, it's, it's a tough situation because um, some people want more, some people want less. You know, you never, you can't make everybody happy. And so you're just trying to personalize things and uh, be reasonable. And it's, it's, uh, it's a whole new world for everybody. I bet. So as it relates to age groups and you know, elementary school versus middle school versus high school. Where are the the big? Where are you finding the biggest challenges? Yeah, well, everybody, I think, at all grade levels, it's actually one one thing that's pretty consistent is everybody's worrying about grades and assessment. And I'm trying to uh, get people to think more in terms of feedback and learning. And um, you know, I, I don't know that we're going to be able to prevent all the learning loss. Uh, that that is potentially uh, going to impact our students, not just this year, but into next year. But we certainly want to try to mitigate that to the greatest extent possible. But at the same time, we realize that these e-learning experiences can't, can't completely replicate what goes on in, in a regular school setting. So, you know, the everybody I think seems to be anxious about um, how am I getting graded? What you know, grades, and we're trying to um, navigate that. We're trying to provide some clarity. Um, 
but we're trying to focus more on feedback and we realize that, uh, you know, the students' grades cannot go down. Um, so for some students who are at the upper grade levels where the, the actual grade is transcripted and could be important in one way or another, uh, we want to have some consistency and some clarity so people understand um, what the uh, what the criteria is. And um, we, we think that uh, based on some of the feedback that we got this past week, that we'll have some additional information that we make available. We'll revise it a little bit, revise what we're doing a little bit to try to provide some clarity. So, the, so that's been the big thing. The, you know, the other issue is just uh, people have different levels of access to technology. So, you know, people may have technology in their homes, but they may have parents that are working uh, from home and then they may have a couple kids working at the same time and then they may have connectivity issues or other things like that. So that's, that's somewhat consistent at the different grade levels too. But I, I will say that our tech people have been incredibly responsive um, and are working very hard to help people as those issues emerge. You know, the older kids can be a little bit more self-sufficient. Uh, so I think that people with younger kids, you know, one of the issues that we're trying to uh, get our teachers to be consistent about is the expectation for uh, load and pace of the work at home at the various different grade levels so that we um, don't have people uh, stressing out about um, what the expectations are of their kids. Um, and so, you know, I mean, it's, there are some consistencies, there are some things that are a little bit different. You know, some people, uh, uh, like certain types of tech tools and other, other people, um, are, are, are from, from our teacher standpoint, others are a little bit more adept at using them than others. And so some of them are learning, um, how to do some of those things. And, um, those are all things that I think, uh, uh, from what I'm hearing from our principals and teachers is that over the course of the first week, they really learned some things that they were able to incorporate in the second week. And it seems like, seems like we're making some progress in a lot of areas. I would imagine there are some families with younger children that maybe uh, are employed in a critical industry like healthcare or, or something like that, whereby maybe their kids have to be in daycare during this. And I'm wondering if you've had any challenges like that to deliver when when these kids aren't in their own homes, they're in either somebody else's home or a formal daycare? Well, there's no doubt that all of those things are factors. And that's one of the reasons why the state came out with the uh, uh, guidance that it did about the fact that kids' grades should not be adversely impacted in any way uh, from the time that we went to the governor's order forward. Um, so they can go up, but they can't go down. And some of those equity issues and some of those... Um, uh, different concerns about how families are all affected differently uh, by this are, are some of the reasons behind the guidance that's coming out from the state in, in that area and other areas as well. Do you think, um, you know, maybe what some of the kids have, are going to be missing a little bit on the formal lessons? You know, you mentioned the educational process. They're probably not going to learn quite as much as they would have in the classroom, but do you think they might learn some life lessons instead that might suit them? for the rest of their lives? Well, I, I think there's a lot of different ways things could work. And what I'm most hopeful of is that what teachers learn about how to personalize learning, how to foster student engagement, 
um, how to foster student um, independence and ownership over their learning and uh, how to assess and provide feedback. If they can, um, if they can uh, take this experience to uh, get better in a lot of those types of areas, uh, then hopefully it translates into the regular classroom experience as well when kids get back to school. So I think that, you know, there are, there are students that will, uh, that may benefit from having more flexibility in, in what time of day they do their work or how much work they do one day versus the next day. And um, then there may be other kids who have difficulty scheduling or balancing their time and they may have to, um, they may struggle a little bit more. They may learn some things from it. Um, I think that, you know, the kids are pretty resilient, but, um, but I do, I do know that it's going to affect different people differently. And it, it may take us multiple years to, uh, figure out how, how to overcome some of the, um, learning loss that occurs because especially because it's probably, well, we're almost certain it's going to be more impactful to the people that are already, um, having the most difficulties, uh, with their learning. So, um, and, and then we, we still don't really know for sure exactly how we're going to be able to compensate for anything over the summer. So, you, you know, things are so fluid and change so quickly that it's hard to, hard to do a lot of advanced planning. You kind of have plan A, plan B, plan C. There's a lot of contingency plans and there's a lot of things that change very quickly or it dropped on us very quickly where uh, we have to have uh, communications ready to go at any moment. Um, it's, it's a really interesting time for sure. I, I wouldn't want to have to do it again, but I think we're all going to learn. I think we're all going to learn something from it. So as it, um, as it relates to the rest of the school year, and I, I, I certainly don't want to put you on the spot, but it appears the conventional wisdom now is that, you know, there's, there's a pretty good chance that this, this year is going to end with e-learning and, and the, kids won't be back in the buildings. So have you heard anything from, from the educational community as to what they think? Well, we haven't heard anything official. You know, we meet every Monday with our uh, DuPage County superintendent group and we have a representative on the task force. So we get whatever updates there are sometimes they, you know, so for instance, the Chicago public schools just started their e-learning this week and there is, um, uh, the governor's um, order through April 30th, you know, he's watching, you know, various different trends with the infection rates and things and is probably being very careful about what he communicates and when. And there are some things he, he doesn't know for sure. Um, and I think the, the thing is, is that the way I'm looking at it, and I think my communications person shares this, people are overwhelmed enough so we want to be careful that what we communicate is accurate and, and doesn't um, further increase any type of anxiety that different people might be experiencing. You know, at this point, I don't know what good it is to communicate four or five different hypotheticals about a situation um, when tomorrow the, the communication might have, you know, three out of those have already changed. Right. And as it, as it relates to that, and, uh, you know, I, I'm assuming that uh... – if I'm a betting person that graduation's not going to happen in its conventional form. So my question to you is, 
Is is there a contingency plan in place to do any sort of a virtual graduation or to have maybe speeches recorded or anything like that? Yeah, we just did. We we just I actually just saw a draft of the proposal that we're going to be bringing forward to the board, not tonight, but at the next board meeting. Um, and, and we're trying to lay out some options and get the board to weigh in on, on what it thinks about what's the best course forward. But, you know, I mean, I'm kind of like you. I, I can't make any official statements, but, you know, you add it up. And the governor's talking about not holding festivals in, in right. Chicago in the summer. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that it's going to be a while before uh, they're going to want um, large groups of people gathering in the same place. Sure. And um, so, you know, we're kind of working off the assumption that worst-case scenario planning, because we have to be prepared. So we have to make arrangements for summer school as well. Um, assuming that adjustments need to be made, that's all got to be communicated pretty quickly. So I wish the governor would come out and just uh, make a, a, a decision so that we could uh, better and more easily plan for a lot of these things that are, are very complicated and time consuming, but um, I don't pretend to know what he's going through right now. So I'm not, sure. you know, speaking, I understand. Speaking of, um, you know, doing doing your research, um, I uh, I did not research whether you've had a board meeting in the last three weeks. I assume you have, and if so, how did that go with public comment and and, and facilitating that? Yeah, the only meeting that we had, we had one March seventeenth because we typically only have one in March, and we had a finance committee in the in the interim, and uh, so actually, you know, we're recording this here on a Tuesday, so tonight is our first board meeting uh, in a while. And um, we're going to be talking uh, about one topic in particular related to um, our e-learning. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there are some public comments or some um, uh, board questions. But the majority of what we're going to do um, as far as Future future decisions about how to handle all this end of the year stuff is is probably going to be uh, discussed at the April twenty eighth board meeting. Okay, and how are you handling those public comments tonight? Well, the way we do the way we do it is we have a sheet that's available on the agenda, a link, and people can put those in, and um, we'll read them into the record um, so so that they they will be heard and they will be part of the public uh, record. And, um, you know, that that's the way several other, other people are, are handling this as well. It's, um, uh, I, I think, you know, pretty much the best we can do um, under the circumstances, so. One last uh, question that I've asked some other guests recently. How do you think that the necessity to deliver education differently during this time is going to affect innovation in education? I think it could have a, a lot of significant impacts. Uh, one in particular is there's been a lot of thinking that uh, a lot of traditional four-year colleges are going to um, fold over the next 25 years because the model is antiquated, it's expensive, and... Um, uh, people, people think that, that, that is, is going to, it's going to morph into a situation where you have more specialized schools 
you have the, the large universities, you have the elite universities, but you don't have anywhere near as many um, smaller uh, regional universities or smaller colleges. And um, it, it's, you know, nobody knows for sure exactly what's going to happen. But with the devastating hit that the states are taking and with the fact that, um, you know, whatever kind of impact that that this whole thing is going to have, I think you're going to see that colleges um, colleges are going to have to adapt, and it may accelerate the fact that we don't have as many of them someday. Um, I think another thing, when you talk about the K-12 area, I'm hoping that our teachers will do a really good job working with the kids and the families, and, and our people are so far, um, and, I, and I'm proud of them for that. But I, I'm hoping that nationally people will find a little bit, uh, recover some of the respect that they've lost for public education over the last couple of decades um, and, and recognize that we do perform a very important function in society. And uh, I'm hoping that that will come out of it. I mean, I really don't know for sure. But as far as innovation goes, I think that, that the, the K-12s are going to learn uh, hopefully learn from this different ways to be innovative, to reach more students, to personalize education, to um, better impact critical thinking, give kids different ways to show their learning. Um, all of those things, I think that definitely be innovations that occur. And I think that from a survival standpoint, the colleges are going to have to innovate um, to survive. So I think that you're going to, you're going to see, you're going to see that. And, you know, the, uh, when we talk about traditional stand and deliver types of instruction, you know, some of that's been obsolete for a while, but some people have been quicker to adapt than others. And I think it would be good for everybody if this accelerates that process. So, Right. Well, the website is elmhurst205.org. Our guest has been Dr. David Moyer. Dave, thank you to you and uh, your entire team over at District 205 for, uh, taking on a challenge that nobody asked for. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, a lot of people have worked really hard and we're doing our best, but we continue to learn and we'll evolve and try to make this as uh, meaningful and palatable for families who are uh, all have their own world of challenges right now uh, as well. We're sensitive to that. So thanks for having me. I always appreciate the opportunity. And appreciate your time and uh, look forward to hope hopefully spending uh, a few minutes uh, and another interview in a few weeks. So thanks so much, Dr. Moore. Sure, you bet. Hi, this is Pamela Dunley. As president and CEO of Elmhurst Hospital, I know that sometimes laughter can be the best medicine. When I need a good laugh, I tune into the E-Town Lowdown. And you should too. Give it a try. And now it's time for another edition of Clever Ken, the Hardware Man. Featuring Ken Ebel of Ebel's Haste Hardware at 1028 South York in Elmhurst. Gail Roberts from College View writes, Clever Ken, my basement floor drain smells terrible. I think my kids or pets are pooping down it, but they say they aren't, so I put up some hidden cameras. And no one's doing anything like that. What can I do to fix my stinky floor drains? All right, Gail, the simplest solution would be just to pour water down the drain if you do that, you will probably clear it out. You won't have to deal with the smell anymore. If that doesn't work, you could have a problem of the house backing up, in which case you'd have to get that drain rotted out. 
I'm Clever Ken, the hardware man, helping you help yourself. The E-Town Lowdown, brought to you by the wonderful folks at the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra, featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right, nine feet in diameter. This has been a special presentation of the E-Town Lowdown.